So this is the per podcast, and so my first question to you both is: <laughs> What are the seven differences between <laughs> you two? Oh, the seven differences: yeah. Canadian American. Okay, okay, that's one. My middle initial is. E, which is not a difference, but my E stands for Elizabeth. And, and mine is Ellen. Okay, that's two. Yeah. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. now we got to dig yeah. deeper. Uh, okay, this, the, the height. I okay, think height. We're three. different heights. Okay. Yeah. okay. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast. The best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, Keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little, one of them. And Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. And today we have with us what I call my alter ego, the other Dr. Susan, Susan Little. Little. It is very confusing here. So if I say, hey, Susan, they both respond. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're, we'll let you talk in a minute. But I have to say one thing because I don't want to forget to say it. Uh, you know, people get us confused because we have the same name. We have the same middle initial. We're both right? amazing. And we're both amazing. Amazing. And we, and, and we both, you know, talk about cat things. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, and so people will often say to me, do you know there's another? And I'll, <laughs> I'll go, yes, and, and I am so grateful she is a lovely person. Exactly. How horrible would it be if, if the person who had my name and was in veterinary medicine was like not so nice? A degenerate so, gambler. Yeah. 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 So, so I am, I'm eternally grateful that you are so nice. <laughs> Same, Thank absolutely, you. and I just want to share that uh, people love your book, and I know that because they tell me how much they love my book, <laughs> and as you know, I just say thank you now. You should, you should. So I, I also have to say that, um, and I think I've told you this before, but here's my true confession, I have cashed your checks. <laughs> so, so, it, um, okay, I need to explain this a little bit, so for conferences, for conferences those two are confused yes. by all the, the conference yes. all the time, so yes. The one Susan Little says, no, I have not checked in yet because that's the other <laughs> oh, Susan Little. That's and another story. <laughs> yeah. I lost my hotel room yes. in Copenhagen. It was, it was very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you like my room? I did, I did. Yeah, because the poor hotel goes, oh, no, you've it already checked in. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, no. And they said, no, like, we, it was a double booking. We canceled it, so that's I had no right. hotel room. The good news right. is you don't look alike. Uh-huh. No, we, we don't look alike, but nonetheless, yes. yeah. Oh, but we do both love cats. We do. Yes. So yeah. there, there, there are many similarities, and there are some differences. <laughs> uh, the, the smaller Susan Little is smaller. Oh, uh, true, true, you know? true. Oh, so I don't know if I've told you this. Um, here's another another uh, episode where we got where I thought we were confused. So last more than a year ago now. Uh, I got invited to do a, a guest, uh, be a guest editor for veterinary parasitology. Yeah. So I, so I politely wrote back and said, uh, thank you very much, but I'm sure you mean the other <laughs> doctors <laughs> who is a parasitologist, yeah. right? And they write me back and go, no, no, we, we mean right, you. Right, right. I'd already I, done my stint, so they wanted to move <laughs> on to the next season a little. Yeah. I get it. So I still write back and I go, are, are you sure? <laughs> and they're like, no, it's you. So this is my, the highlight of my career, Aww. seriously, that I get to be a guest editor for Veterinary Parasitology. Yes, it's wonderful. I know, it's really cool. Oh, yeah. So this is the Per Podcast, and so my first question to you both is, <laughs> what are the seven differences between <laughs> you two? Oh, the seven differences. Yeah. Canadian-American. Okay, okay, that's one. My middle initial is 
E, which is not a difference, but my E stands for Elizabeth. And, and mine is Ellen. Okay, that's two. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay now we got to dig yeah. deeper. Uh, okay, this, the, the height. I okay, think height. We're three. different heights. Okay. Yeah. okay I three. came into feline medicine through parasitology mm. and okay, then good. grew to love feline parasites. Mm. There you go. Yeah. Susan came in. I just was always a cat person. And grew to love parasites. Yeah, indeed. Okay, so yeah. yeah deeply. I, I love that parasite thing. Okay, good. So deeply. parasite to cats and cats cat to parasites. Yeah, okay, so that's good. It's hard to separate the okay, two. Okay, we're yeah. at number five. Ooh, what else? Um, I know nothing about hockey, including <gasps> there icing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I just know it's a thing. Yeah. Icing. So, so I, did I spring that on you? Because we actually did a lecture together um, at Western Veterinary Conference Susan's a couple of years littles. ago. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think the hockey thing came up then. So yeah. that's, that's a good point. Okay. If you're Canadian, there's only one sport and it's hockey. <laughs> number six. Um... Let's see. Now. Okay, I, I I don't know if this will be a difference, but I'll throw it out there. Um, my favorite food's lobster. I thought the oysters. The, oh. <laughs> or oysters. That would be a difference. Okay. I do like lobster. Yeah. I would say oh, I had lobster bisque last night. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's my favorite. Food. Okay. okay. I would okay, put good, favorite is like okay, a one more, one more, one more. Okay. One more. Oh, I adore cats, but I own other species of pets. I oh, that's too. not the difference. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can't do that. Um, As a matter of fact, do you have a cat in, in your house? No, I have three cats in my house. Excellent. Um. So that's a major difference. <laughs> that's a difference. She has only cats in her experimental uh, area. <laughs> no. <laughs> my, so I have two cats and they live in the clinics. Mm. Then what sleeps in your bed? Um, the moo. dog. Moo. My, Interesting. Yeah. So and we have cats and the other species, but the cats sleep in the bed. Oh, really? Yeah, the dogs stay downstairs. Oh. Okay. Audience, these were the seven differences between the two I hope you took so, notes. There's yes. a quiz at the end. Yeah, because yeah. now for any conference that wants now both you can tell us to speak, you yeah. can. It's yeah. very easy. Yeah. Just yeah. check the list and yeah. say, okay, <laughs> let me ask you about lobster. And if the answer is no, then you know yeah. who the one is. So, I, I remember perfect. one one conference where uh, I think my photo was in the brochure and your bio were yes. backwards. Yes, yes, that yeah. happens. And I, I remember another speaker coming up to me going. You don't look like it. <laughs> like, <laughs> the other. So, Susan, tell me a little bit about yourself. So, I'm a veterinary parasitologist. I mm-hmm. uh, went to veterinary school in Virginia ah. and then did my PhD at University of Georgia, mm. focused on mites. I actually worked on sarcoptic mange. Really? And then I moved into ticks because one of my fellow graduate students was doing ticks and tick borne diseases, and I helped him out with some molecular stuff, and it took off from there. So, uh, I guess at, at that time when you moved into ticks and tick-borne diseases. This is the other Susan what, Little. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, was that like a, a, a growing field? Was it kind of a, a new thing? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah that impression. was right about yeah. the time human ehrlichiosis was taking off in the South. So in a lot of the Southern U.S., we haven't had to deal with tick-borne diseases the way Lyme endemic areas have had to. Of course, that's changing now as yeah. Lyme moves in different regions. But we certainly have Rocky Mountain spotted fever, ehrlichiosis, babesiosis, cytozoonosis, mm. lots of infections of concern Mm. Um, and the tick populations are increasing and moving they're moving to new places the numbers are higher where they've always been and we've just learned so much about ticks in the last 20 30 years so it's all about timing like you know absolutely right time right place right and fascinating yeah yeah what do you love most about this um, about the ticks or about killing them? So, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. 
Uh, I see there's an episode you know, of uh, yeah. Murder, She Wrote. Yeah, I need to well, break into we'll this one. We'll call this the Murder, no, She Wrote th- episode. This is a perfect topic. So we always make fun of that we're in a plane and we're sitting next to someone and says, uh. that person says, what do you do? And so we always think of things to say that is not veterinary related. Yeah. So right. they won't talk to you because yeah, otherwise right, right. you will be talking for three hours about, about their dogs you know, dog, or whatever. Yeah. And, and cats. Yeah. So um, Susan says that she is a... <laughs> so this is my latest one. I'm just trying to be polite, but I really don't. I'm not a good conversationalist on planes. You know, I want people to leave me alone. So I say that I'm an expert in a certain species of stick insect. Nice. And, then, yeah. and that's usually the exact reaction. Yeah. So I know we're audio and you can't see her face, but she's like, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> and, and it usually stops it right there. And yeah. I tell them that I'm an undertaker, which always <laughs> takes real good care of yeah. the situation. But you just tell I them. I can that, just tell them I'm a parasitologist. Yeah. Yeah. It works no. every time. You, you just oh. have to tell them you kill ticks. Yeah. For, for Stress the tick, not the animal. Yeah. So then, yeah, yeah, for sure. Excellent. Yeah, so what do you love about killing ticks then? Yeah. Let's go there. Well, so what I, I do love ticks also because they are biologically intrinsically fascinating yeah. the phenology the way they make their way in the world the way they respond to seasonal and climate cues the way the populations have increased I mean they are benefiting from climate change yeah. in yeah. incredible ways yeah. so I, I am fascinated by the ticks yeah. but the reason I like to kill them is because of the, the trauma that they cause to dogs and cats the diseases they transmit the bite wounds that they create um, all the problems they cause as well as of course human disease did you ever think when you were a vet student that no. you <laughs> you had, would end up being yeah, a tick expert. I had no idea it would be ticks, but I knew first semester, second year, it would be parasites. Did you? I knew by, yeah, lecture two, I went up and asked Dr. Ann Zajac, who's the parasitologist at Virginia Tech, I asked her for a job. No. So, I was smitten. Yeah. Wow. It was love at first worm. It's the I official love at first worm. It's the official title, tickologist, or what? No, oh. so I consider myself a veterinary parasitologist mm-hmm. because I also work on heartworm and other vector-borne infections, and I work on intestinal parasites and tapeworms, which of course are transmitted by fleas. So um, lots of different parasites. Um, but most tick people call themselves entomologists. Mm-hmm. So, which is yeah. a broader term than just and tick, And then right? some yeah. might say acarologists, which is ticks and mites, mites. for the acari. Oh. And so that my PhD was in sarcoptic mange, yeah. but it was in veterinary parasitology. Yeah. My board certifications in veterinary parasitology. So I have a, a history question for you then, talking yeah. about ticks. When the times were really, you know, way, way, way in Jurassic period where everything was really warm and hot and humid, were ticks a big issue there? Do we know that? So there were blood feeding arthropods Mm -hmm. in Jurassic times and so in um, prehistoric times. Um, And so that whole. um, So like dinosaurs had. Well, so they got, you know, in Jurassic Park, they got the dinosaur blood out of a mosquito that was preserved in amber, right? And so there are ticks have been found on dogs that were buried with the Egyptian mummies, so mummified dogs. Oh the dogs gosh. would be wow. buried with their owners, right, mm-hmm. with the with their um, human yeah. companions, and they're covered with brown dog ticks. Oh, wow. So, That's yeah, amazing. which is a tick that we still see on cats. And, and, and I'm host, saying that right? because there was just an article, I don't know where it came out, but I think National Geographic, that had a dinosaur with possibly an osteosarcoma in, mm-hmm. in oh, its bone. Absolutely, and yeah. And you know, that fascinated me, yeah. so that's why I come now for the question about the ticks, but that's that's cool. That's right. going to be great dinner conversation. Uh, did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> and prehistoric fleas were 
huge, just no. gigantic. You can't imagine the size big, of prehistoric how, yeah, fleas. This is an audience that so, listens. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, for, for your U.S. listeners, 10, 12 inches. For your Canadian listeners, what's that, 25 centimeters? Mm. A tick. Oh, no, a, a flea, flea of 25 flea. centimeters. Yeah, from oh. the fossil record. So fossilized fleas. Oh, this oh, is a totally my. scary thought. Yeah. And then, oh, of course, I think we would be the how parasite for the flea. How do you swap them away? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so, so how high would they jump then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Think about it. Yeah, yeah pretty high. Because yeah. fleas jump very high compared to their body. I just, I mean, they jump like over a yeah. uh, skyscraper. That's yeah, what yeah. they kind of say on yeah, that. Yeah. Wow, that's wow. amazing. The Wind Feline Foundation has been funding cat health studies for 51 years. If you have a cat or have ever treated a cat, nearly everything we know was once funded by this nonprofit totaling about $6.5 million. From understanding retroviruses, FELV and FIV, to more recently targeting gene defects responsible for HCM in the Ragdoll and Maine Coon breeds. The Wind Feline Foundation Pet Memorial Program offers veterinary professionals an opportunity to reassure clients that their beloved cats have not been forgotten. And those dollars support health studies that benefit the lives of all cats. Contributions totaling $150 or more receive a certificate suitable for framing or display in your clinic. Imagine being able to treat kidney disease more effectively, using stem cell therapy to cure stomatitis, or drugs to treat FIP are actually within grasp. Consider your support in telling your clients about the Win Feline Foundation and a free newsletter at winfelinefoundation.org. So let's go to the cat. Okay. Cat ticks. Cat ticks are yeah, a real what, what's thing. What's important? What's well, important in cat tickology? The fact that we're even talking about it yeah, is probably one important. of the most important things. So that cats get ticks, they're yep. infested with ticks, that they benefit from tick control. Cats can get tick-borne infections. Mm -hmm. So um, Lyme disease we now know is a clinical entity in cats, as yep. well as anaplasmosis, ehrlichiosis, of course, cytosone we worry about. So there's lots of tick-borne infections in cats. And if we can protect them from the ticks, we can go a long way to limiting the infections that they transmit. And this is really new. We, ne we never really thought very much at all no, we about tick-borne diseases in cats. And, and even if we did, we'd say, oh yeah, there's like serologic evidence, you know, we can find antibodies to like Lyme or whatever right, but right. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? yeah they're infected but they're not sick but it turns out we can't always tell when cats are sick as I you know. have taught so many I of know, us I because know. they're mm. stoic they become quiet you know what is a lethargic cat it's just a cat right so it can be difficult to tell yeah um but polyarthritis has been associated with um Borrelia infection lyme infection in cats um fever lethargy and they respond to antibiotic treatment and so yeah. we do think there's good evidence now um but even just the tick is reason to worry about ticks in cats because the tick, the, the hypostome, the mouth parts of the tick mm -hmm. penetrates through the skin as it imbibes that blood meal. It's gonna be there for days, if not a few weeks. Um, and that causes trauma and irritation at the tick bite site. Mm -hmm. You know, and cats don't need that. Mm, no, and, no. And then of course, cats that go outside can bring ticks into the home. Yes. And so then there's a risk that untreated cat, there's a risk that those ticks will then get on human members of the family. So the tick, that the cat goes outside, it, it picks up a tick, mm -hmm. will that tick 
preferentially attach and feed in the cat or would it drop off and then feed on a person? Ticks might take a while to attach. They kind of take some time to decide. So they'll move around on the fur of the cat. And then if the cat jumps up on the person, they'll just start crawling Mm. on the clothing of the person and eventually they'll attach somewhere. But it may not be to the cat. It could be to a child in the home. And so that's a that's a concern. There has been a publication that um, pet ownership is associated with risk of tick-borne infection in people. And that could be because you're outside playing with your pets. So maybe you're in a tick-infested area. But it could also be those untreated pets, the ones that aren't protected from ticks, are bringing some ticks into the home. So, so what you're saying is the other species that we won't mention could bring <laughs> in the ticks and the ticks then crawl to... The cat. Yeah, so we're doing this national survey in the U.S., and there's a similar one going on in Canada. Um, the U.S. survey is showusyourticks.org. Oh, I love so it. So you have to enunciate, tick. but if you go to showusyourticks.org, um, any veterinarian anywhere in the country can submit a tick uh-huh. for identification. Uh, we'll get an email back what species stage it is, what diseases it could transmit. So I have to show my arm with this tick <laughs> sticking out, or what, what, what do you want Snap exactly? No, your tick. you just take the tick, put it in uh-huh. for veterinarian. Veterinarians put it in a red top tube and any kind oh. of solid container, plastic oh. bottle, ah. mail it to us. So it's not a picture. Mm, oh. we'll identi- we want the tick you because, want the tick, yeah, right? we always want the ticks. But then we can PCR them and see, we can test them and see what pathogens they have and what oh, diseases wow. they may be at risk of transmitting. And we're getting really good data on a national level for what ticks are on cats. And we're finding Show me way- your tick.org. Show us. Show, Show us. us your ticks. We'll put a link in, in, the, yeah. in the podcast notes. Yeah. Is it the same website for Canada? So in Canada, it's out of the um, Ontario Veterinary College at University of Guelph. And I'll get you the website address. Yeah, we'll I don't put, want to we'll give you it, the wrong one. Right, we'll right put now, a link so. in the notes. Okay. Yeah. That's so, very cool. Yeah, yeah. And so we're getting a lot more information about the diversity of ticks that are on mm. that are on um, cats I don't think that's that we been can done understand. Before, has it? That's um, there's not been a national survey. Yeah. Well, we published the first national survey in cats in 2018. Uh, so we can put a link to that too yeah, on we the will. site. Awesome. Cool. Um, and now we're including other species besides cats in that very survey. Very cool. Very that cool. is that so is there'll, super. There'll neat. be new learnings out of that. Yeah, and I think, absolutely. I, I think it's important because a lot of people say my cat is indoor all the time. Don't have to worry about so it. So what oh. we found from our published cat study is that um, t- about ten percent um, of the cat. Well, if you look at the percentages, we asked what percent of time does your cat spend outside. Mm-hmm. So. Um, um, majority of the cats with ticks spend most of their time outside. Makes sense. Right. 30% of the cats, though, I'm going to get the numbers wrong. Yeah. That's, <laughs> okay. Part out. Well, that's okay. No, that's okay. Carter, well, that's well, it'll go in the show notes. It. Don't worry a about it. A percentage yeah. of the cats. Yeah. yeah. So, the, But there were a number of cats mm-hmm. who were 100% indoor, reported by their owners, never went outside, and yet they had ticks attached on them. And I just <sighs> talked to um, a veterinarian from Oklahoma mm-hmm. who shared with me that they have had indoor-only cats actually succumb to fatal cytozoonosis from ticks oh they think gosh. the owners were bringing into the home. Wow. So the cats weren't going outside, but the ticks were coming in. So oh there is gosh. a benefit to tick control for all cats. That is a very strong case. Yeah. Yeah, because some tick-borne diseases, like cytozoan, are fatal. Right. Yeah. We can try and treat them. We can try. But, but at best, we get about half to survive. And wow. that's that's if you get lucky, too. I mean, wow. that's not. That's with best treatment. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that, because probably not everybody is aware of this disease. Yeah. Cytozoan yeah. is a fascinating disease, huh? So, yeah. And it's transmitted by Lone Star ticks, okay. which are not... Um, 
highly prevalent everywhere, but mm. there are a lot more places than they used to be. So they're mostly in the eastern half of North America. They were thought of as a southern tick historically, so mm. cytozoonosis was a s disease of southern cats, but those ticks are now in southern Minnesota and southern Maine, so they're not so much southern, southern United Maine. States yes. anymore. So we're seeing more cases reported, more places. Mm -hmm. um, you won't overlook the infections as a veterinarian because the the presentation is so dramatic. Mm -hmm. The cats are um, uh, high fever, extremely lethargic, and as I said, many of them go on to die. And so it's a really mm. tragic infection. We recommend, of course, keeping cats inside, but then tick control on the cats as well. And, mm -hmm. and it has been shown, tick control has been shown to prevent transmission of cytozoonosis using experimental models. Um, and so we're happy to recommend that to cats in the world. So when veterinarians get cats that show those clinical signs, what should they do? Um, well, the recommend, recommended treatment is a combination of atovaquone and azithromycin. The clinical okay, you have to go a little slower because... <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the recommended diagnosis yeah. when you suspect cytozoonosis, the easy thing to do in practice is a blood smear yep. and look for the pyroplasms inside red blood cells. Perfect. Some cats that have a very, we think, a very high infection load may become ill before they even show pyroplasms mm. in their blood. Mm. So sometimes we don't find that until the second or third day they're in hospital, okay. but it's still worth looking for. Um, there are national service labs that can do a PCR mm -hmm. for the infection. So if you really think it might be this, I would certainly recommend sending it out. The problem, of course, is a 24-hour turnaround time, and you may not have 24 hours. But once the diagnosis is confirmed, usually by blood smear examination, then the recommended treatment is a combination of atovaquone mm -hmm. and azithromycin. The problem is a lot of veterinarians don't necessarily stock those drugs because no. they're not routinely used. Absolutely. And so you might not have them on hand. So you can use something like um, imidacarb. Mm -hmm. It's considered the second choice treatment, but yep. if it's the only thing you have in practice, yep. early treatment is more important. And then, of course, supportive care. The cats are often dysnic, they're having trouble breathing, and it's because the, the parasites, it's a protozoa, but they multiply in such large numbers in the capillaries, um, in the macrophages in the lung, that it actually occludes the capillary blood flow, and so it creates this wow. dyspnea. So providing um, supportive care, oxygenation, you know, anything you can do to, to help the cats get through the crisis. So I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but have there not been some research looking at cats that get infected but get no or mild clinical signs? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of cats walking around in the world with cytozoan felis, yeah. so it's Which confusing. Which is surprising, huh? Yeah, and we're not sure what's going on. Yeah. Um, the, the, there's a few theories out there. One is that if they have immunity already, maybe they had maternal immunity, maybe they got a very low dose, then they're able to withstand. Maybe there's different strains of the parasite. Right. Some cause disease, some don't. Could be the dose that they receive from the tick. So if mm -hmm. you get a low dose, then you can walk around with an infection. But if you get a high enough dose that overwhelms it, then it can be fatal. Yeah. Um, what, we, what we do know is that um, Cats with cytozoan as a clinical diagnosis have a very poor prognosis. Right. So if right. the cat is sick, it's a problem. But in some surveys in um, the Middle South, so Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, 10-15% of the cats may be PCR positive for cytozoan, but they're fine. It's amazing. And historically, we called it bobcat fever. Yeah. So it was the bobcats that were the uh -huh. reservoir, and then the ticks moved it from the bobcats to the domestic cats. But now it looks like it might be in the domestic cat ah, population, really? either outdoor cats, free-roaming cats, 
cats that have that infection and are keeping it cycling in the ticks, and then it spills over into someone's Do pet people cat. get sick with cytosolin? There's no reports, no. It's not known to be zoonotic at all. Hmm. There's a lot of um, concern with zoonotic infections in ticks and fleas on, and cats, yeah. but cytosolin's not, not one, one of them. them. No, and uh, the Babesia... Yeah, the, the protozoal infections that are transmitted from ticks to animals generally aren't zoonotic for the pet animals, but um, That's good the bacterial mm-hmm. ones certainly are. So Borrelia, Rickettsia, or Lichia anaplasma, we worry about those yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's very cool. It's it's uh, like a, a, a really a new world is opening up. Molecular techniques are probably a big mm-hmm. part of that, right? Yeah, yeah, we've identified a lot more tick-borne infections because we have strategies to identify those infections. Yeah, we yep. have better tests. So a PCR just tells you that the cat has been in contact in some way with that agent. Um, it doesn't tell you anything about the load and that sort of things because, you know, I think that might have to do something with the fact that some cats might be positive, but they might have not gone through a major immune reaction. Yeah, so yeah, so they're sensitive. circulating the organism. Mm-hmm. They can infect ticks. We've yeah, seen course. that from the experimental work. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're a source of infection to ticks that could go on to infect other cats, but they are not themselves ill. Right? And do you know if there's a link with immune system that some cats get this severe reaction to it or what if they're retrovirus infected Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. i haven't seen any um evidence of the co-infection but i think there's a lot of interest in that because the retroviruses are so common and and debilitating yeah Yeah, so i can imagine that a cat with fiv probably is much more susceptible for a violent reaction than the ones that are not be interesting to know right we certainly see that with toxoplasma yeah we do yeah so yeah let's talk a little bit about anaplasma because um, that might be more widespread yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, uh, than something like cytosolon. And it's also fairly new on our radar. And I think a lot of vets actually still don't even know that cats can get anaplasma. Um, I know there was some seminal work done um, in uh, in Maine. I think a That's practitioner right. in Maine. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Hoyt. Dr. Hoyt, Dr. Chris Hoyt, mm-hmm. who really was, it was her work that made me go, oh, wait a minute. You yeah, know? this is a thing. Isn't it? It's a thing. Yeah. And because um, uh, uh, tick uh, territories are spreading, you know, veterinarians now have to be thinking about diseases they never did before. So, so um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, where, you know, you think anaplasma is these days and what does it look like in cats? So it's interesting. Anaplasma and Borrelia are both uh, reservoir or transmitted by the Ixodes ticks. Yeah, in so the go hand in northeast. hand. Yes, yeah, so yeah. they go together, but not exactly together. So we'll have areas where there's a lot of Lyme disease, but less anaplasmosis, and then we'll have other areas where there's a ton of anaplasmosis, mm. and that tends to be more northern areas. So northern New England, mm. um, Minnesota, Wisconsin, lots of anaplasmosis. So could they but be you go competing? to the yeah, the there's interest. So you go to oh. the mid-Atlantic states, and it's more Borrelia and less anaplasma. So it's just sort of interesting. So yeah. I would think in Canada, it'd be a whole lot of anaplasmosis. Yeah, and, that's, and, what, that's what I'm worried about. Right, right. And yeah. that's a concern for the cats, yeah. because the present, the acute infection presentation is so dramatic. Although, of course, they get sick from Borrelia, too. But um, but anaplasmosis, anaplasma phagus toflum, so debilitating for cats. Yeah. So okay, I'm going your to, question to, about yeah, competing, yeah, 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 no, that's, yeah, there's a lot of interest in why that is because it's the same tick, so it should be like fairly similar. Yeah. But different might be different reservoir hosts, okay. and it seems to be where there's more True. diversity of reservoir hosts. There's more anaplasma, and where there's more uniformity 
of the you know the few hosts that are really good supportive mm-hmm. reservoirs for Borrelia, oh. then maybe there's more Borrelia. But the other interesting tick trick is that when a tick is infected with Anaplasma phagocytophilum, it's been shown that it secretes an antifreeze protein that helps that tick survive in colder temperatures. Wow. So oh my gosh. Is, the, is the ecologic distribution, the geographic distribution that we're seeing, is that just yeah. that, um, that support that the tick gets from being infected with Anaplasma Allowing it to move northward. Move to Canada. Exactly. <laughs> Internal exactly. Oh my gosh. Yes. I did not know and that. And that was discovered. The research group that discovered that had infected ticks and non-infected ticks and put them in the freezer, which yep. we do to, yeah. to kill ticks because eventually that'll kill them. And they took them back out and the non-infected ticks were dead and the infected ticks were we're not. And so then they looked into it some more and were able to characterize the protein. It's fascinating work. I it really is. Amazing. So the cool thing about this podcast is that every time we learn something and we now do. internal antifreeze. <laughs> So cool. We love it. So thank you very much uh, for the first part of our podcast, Susan. Uh, you uh, did an awesome job. We had a great You're time. Natural. Oh, yeah, that was super fun. And I'm so excited because we have another podcast coming up. Yeah, talking about even more things. Yeah, so, we can't wait. Uh, right? I know Heartworm will be coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we cannot exciting. miss talking about Heartworm. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, every cup every month. Every cat every month. That's going yep. to be good. Cool. So, so thank you. Thank Great. you very much for being here. And thank you guys. Uh, we'll see you all in two weeks. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at perpodcast. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at Cat Vet Susan. Dr. Yola Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVE. TSX.